Madame Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Logan's Run. Hey, Luke. Hey, Matt. Uh, you, the intro is yours. You get the intro, but can I start it? Okay, I had one, but go on. In the year 2019, I turned 29 years of age, so I have a year to live. Matt, how long do you have to live? Negative 10 years? Yeah. <laughs> I'm dead as a pole in the world of Logan. Sam, you've been dead for a year. Anyway, I'm Luke. I'm Matt. And this is, well, no, what do we say? And welcome... To our sci-fi sanctuary. That's right. And we're getting to the movie today that we sort of named the thing after. Kind of? Weirdly? Sanctuary! <laughs> it is Logan's Run from 1976, uh, directed by Michael Anderson, who's a name you probably should not know. Um, I checked Has out... Has he been cancelled? No, he's got a lot of credits, but okay. um, the like nothing that really stood out, except one very notable one that might have led to this film. Uh, he di- directed the first film version of 1984 in the 50s. Oh, cool. So that you can see where, oh, he did that. Let's hire him for this. Yep, yep, makes sense. Dystopia or utopia, depending on how you look at it. Um, <laughs> now for me, I think this might have been the first time I ever saw this film. Right, so I'm at a very different angle. Um, I taped this off of UHF television somewhere in the mid-80s, maybe even earlier. I feel like, I feel like I've been seeing this since I was quite young. Now, I got it off TV. It, it, I think it had like five seconds of naughty bits trimmed, but not, not enough to, to really matter. Right. Um, I don't think I saw the full film till it was like on DVD, and I got those extra five seconds. Okay. Till then, it was all VHS, man. Uh, pan and scan. <laughs> I bet you panned and scanned at some certain scenes. Oh, right. <laughs> um, getting into some of the stars, um, you said you didn't really know Michael York here. I, when the credits came up at the start, I recognized the name Michael York. And he looks like a parody of the concept of an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an actor! But and he I, doesn't, couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything Michael York had been in. Okay. Um, the, the one off just off the top of my head is um, he is Austin Powers' boss in at least the first two, maybe all three Austin Powers movies. He's passed away. He died a few years ago. But uh, I think he was in all three of the Austin Powers movies. But I feel first. like that would be like a swan song end of his career role. Yeah, that shouldn't I, be the thing he's known for. Yeah, I probably should have looked him up a little more. Oops. I, I, but, you know, he's a recognizable face, maybe because I've seen this movie uh, too many times. Yeah. Um, we also co-starring, we have Jenny Agatar. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. You want to try it? No. I've never seen, I've never heard it. <laughs> I'm not going to spell it. Oh, we saw the documentary. Oh, okay. 
They said that in the documentary. Did they? I think they pronounced it that way. Okay. Anyway, um, she's best known for this film and also for an American werewolf in London as the werewolf's girlfriend. I thought the American werewolf in London was a later film than that. No, it's 1981. This one is oh. 1976. Wow, what a... What a five years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just, uh, I, did, I didn't look at Michael York, but I looked her up, and uh, she is also one of the um, shadowy, holographic, um, I don't know, world dominator, leader people in the Avengers and uh, the Winter Soldier. And she was in Red Dwarf, apparently, but it's from one of the later episodes, and neither of us remembers it. Yeah. But um, here, here's something weird. This is going to blow my mind. Uh, this came out in 76. It's the year before Star Wars, right? Yes. Uh, what sci-fis do we have up to this point? Like, I mean, just big prestige ones. Mostly like UFO invasion stuff, right? War of the Worlds, Day the Earth Stood Still. Okay, Day the Earth Stood Still, that's a good one. I, I was, I, my, my first thoughts were 2001 Forbidden Planet. 2001? That was, how early was that? That's 68. Oh yeah, because, right, Moon Landing, of course. He mm-hmm. went on to direct the Moon Landing right after. Yeah, and you, you mouthed the word fuck, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, 2001 was way in the can. Yeah, in my there. head, I'm think, I put in 2001 way closer to Star Wars, but it's not. Yeah. So for MGM... Damn, that was a good film, looking film for 68. Yeah, that's, why, Kubrick, that's why we like Kubrick. That's why yeah. he faked the moon landing so well. Ah. Send Luke your emails. <laughs> 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 um, but this actually was like a prestige film for MGM at the time. They yeah. threw... I mean, it looks... Okay, let me just start off. This actually is in my top ten movies. It always has been. The only time it wasn't is when I was in university and I took film courses. And I took Saturday afternoons to go to the movie theater and watch, like, Fritz Lang's Contempt and and Kurosawa releases. And everyone everyone said, this film is crap. And I was like, I guess it's crap. But, you know, a little bit out of university. And I started to love it again. There's like nine Fast and Furious films now, so my top ten's getting pretty full. (laughs) (laughs) Logan's in mind. So, you want to call it cheesy? The acting, okay, it gets cheesy here and there. The design, I love it. It gets cheesy here and there. I I actually, before I showed up here, I was like, I'll fight to the death over the music, but I might actually have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have some dissenting opinions around, but we'll get into that later. But um, this was a prestige film. Um... And they threw a lot of money. I just said that. Uh, that's why Pierre Ustinov is here. He, mm. He's a big character actor. I mean, through the, the I think the forties, the fifties, the sixties. Right. I mean, he's just he's a big name. Yeah. He's he's now you draw on like Morgan Freeman or something for that. Right. right? right, right. Uh, in nineteen seventy six, you pulled in uh, Peter Ustinov, who plays the old man, whose name is he doesn't know his name. Old man. Yes. <laughs> in the credits, he's it listed old. as old man. That is very interesting that you bring that up, because. I turned to Shen during the film and said, is this guy an actor? Or did they just go out onto the street and grab the oldest looking hobo? Well, I'll get into the senility level as we chat about it, but this is a serious, well-respected actor in the role. He's just playing a very good, weird little cook. Exactly. Um, so, uh, I guess, you know, I've lived with this film my entire life. Uh, this is the first time you've actually watched it? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Give me just an initial impression blast. Like often happens with films from this era, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. I always think, like, oh, it's going to be a drag, it's going to be slow, it's going to be boring. But yeah, I was gripped. I didn't yeah. go on my phone or anything. <laughs> okay. Which, I'm... these days, is high praise for a film. Like... <laughs> yeah, because this film, uh, again, I named the podcast after it, and, and Luke was down with that. Uh, but, you know, this film is coursing through my blood. Uh, half of my tastes are pretty... 
I, I think when I was like three or four, I, I really loved the Buck Rogers TV show. Okay. And it, you know, went off the air. And in the early 80s, it's off the air. You're not seeing it anymore. I got this off of UHF, so this kind of replaced it. This was your space stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, not space, but your Star sci-fi Trek stuff. too, but this, this was that certain strain of it, right? Mm-hmm. That disco strain, I guess. Mm. Um, and I, I honestly, I think I forgot about Buck Rogers for years and years. I, I have to set now. I'm, we're we're going to watch the at least the uh, theatrical one sometime. I used uh, to watch Buck Rogers as a kid. All right, we'll get into that. But I, it's almost like this, like as a small child, Buck Rogers kind of faded away, and this kind of faded in. All right. So um, it, it follows a line. So it's just it's very much in my blood. Um, if you want to argue this is a crap film, there are many ways you can do it, but I really do love it. I. I would not call any part of it crap. I can see, like, it's cheesy, but it's also a film from 1976. Yes. So it's going to be cheesy in places, but I thought it was a good film. I guess you have to give, like, a pre-Star Wars sci-fi, like, a little grain of salt. Right, yeah. But not 2001, do you? <laughs> no, well, that's why I was so shocked when you told me how early 2001. <laughs> I guess we're doing that for the podcast eventually. That's obviously somewhere on the docket, but there's yep. so many things to do. Let's do this one. Let me tell you a tale of Logan. Engage. Sometime in the 23rd century, the survivors of war, overpopulation, and pollution are living in a great domed city, sealed away from the forgotten world outside. Here, in an ecologically balanced world, mankind lives only for pleasure, freed by the servo mechanisms which provide everything. There's just one catch. Life must end at 30, unless reborn in the fiery ritual of carousel. Wow, this thing writes itself. Anyway, with uh, exposition out of the way, we find Logan 5 peering at the newborns, one of which will be Logan 6. His friend and colleague, Francis 7, arrives. He finds it weird that Logan is here since no one in the domed city cares about how their genetic material is used for lab-born babies. The two of them are Sandmen, an elite sort of police who chase down and terminate those who dare try to run from the aforementioned fiery ritual of carousel, no one has ever escaped the Sandman's grasp. The two head off to see today's carousel, which involves those turning 30 clad in roller disco outfits around a massive glowing life clock, which are found in smaller form in the palms of the city's residents. They start off yellow, turn green around puberty, and red in a resident's 20s. Once they start blinking black, you are 30, and it's time for last day and carousel. The carousel life clock begins to spin and lift the doomed into the air, where they begin to explode as the crowd cheers on for them to renew, renew, renew. Logan and Francis cannot stay for all of the festivities as they are called off to track down a runner. They find him running around in the lobby for some reason and gleefully blast him into puree. A maintenance worker dissolves the body just before the happy crowd comes out of carousel. Later that night, Logan gets horny and decides to see who's on the circuit. 
In arrives the gorgeous Jessica Six, who gets cold feet upon learning that Logan is a Sandman. See, one of her friends just died. Logan does notice a mysterious Ankh pendant on her. He found one on the runner he had just terminated. Back at the office the next morning, Logan goes in to debrief with the computer. It's usually a very simple procedure, but once Logan places the Ankh on the scanner, the computer requests in a demanding way that Logan come to sit at the main console to have a chat. See, the Ankh is a symbol for sanctuary, a mysterious place some runners wish to go to avoid carousel. The computer strongly infers that no one is ever renewed and that 1,056 runners actually have escaped the Sandman and gone missing. And yet worse, the computer now pushes up Logan's life clock up four years using a retrogram to a last day blink. Logan is to become a runner, learn about sanctuary, and report back to no one but the computer. When Logan asks if he will get those years back, the computer shuts up. Logan decides to order Jessica Six back to his place to see if she knows anything about Sanctuary. She insists that she's just like everyone else, try like hell for renewal, carousel. Once Logan shows her that he has decided to run though, she decides to take him into a trap where he will be killed by the rebels. But he gets a message just in time to go catch a runner in the sealed-off cathedral section of the city. There he finds a bunch of prepubescent kids, cubs, some played by actors who look 30, who have gone Lord of the Flies. Logan finds the runner, played by a 40-year-old actress, and proceeds to let her go. But she doesn't go far. Francis also got the call, arrived just in time to watch Logan let the runner go, and finishes the job himself. Back in the main part of the city, Logan heads to New You to get a new face. The plastic surgeon is tipped off by the rebels, though, and is about to get murdered by plastic surgery lasers. Oh, but it is the doctor who is murdered by laser. Francis is also still in pursuit. And they all run into the hedonistic love shop, which has a secret door that leads to the rebel hideout. Logan talks the rebels out of murdering him, and they give him the info he needs to exit the city. Logan betrayed that trust more than a bit by turning on a tracker upon entering, though, and soon the Sandmen come in riot police style. Logan and Jessica manage to get out, though, and find themselves in the bowels of the city. They break the city seals and exit, but drop the Ankh, which is actually a key. Francis finds that and follows them out of the city as well. After some 70s sci-fi action hijinks, Logan and Jessica find themselves in a cold cave and get naked. Turns out the cave is run by a robot named Box, whose job it is to maintain a food supply. The natural supply has run dry though, so Box has been killing runners and placing them in cold storage. Logan and Jessica are next in line. They, of course, manage to get the upper hand on Box and lead, leave the cave to see the sun for the first time. They began wandering through a post-apocalyptic wilderness, which does greatly contrast with the hedonism of the domed city. Francis gets it just a little easier as he just waltzes through the wreckage of Box's cave. Logan and Jessica eventually make it to the ruins of Washington, D.C., where they find a bunch of cats and one old man. In fact, old man is the character's name as he is profoundly senile and cannot remember what his name actually was. 
Francis catches up and Logan ends up on the livelier side of a Mortal Kombat round. Logan decides that they must go back to the Dome City and reveal the truth to its inhabitants with the old man as evidence. Upon entering, he starts screaming, You don't have to die! Like a crazy man until the Sandmen pick him up. Is it under heavy drugs, mind control, bad vibes? Logan is again face to face with the computer. Five faces if you count the bizarre holograms. He tells the computer... There is no sanctuary. At first, the computer doesn't believe him, but when it begins to understand, it fries its own brain and proceeds to blow up the city. Logan, Jessica, and the survivors of the city head out through the water, where they meet the old man again, and everyone wants to touch his beard. The future is now a blank slate. The end. You're banned from doing these. It's awesome. That was really long. Awesome. You can't put that all in one go. That has awesome. to be split up throughout the episode. You gotta admit, there's a lot of plot. <laughs> you could have edited. Yes. Yeah. This, this film is the template for your your Hunger Games, your Maze Runners, oh, this sort of thing. But so much better than any of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I totally, I, I, I want to say I like dystopias, but the films you just mentioned, I couldn't finish. <laughs> I read and watched all the Hunger Games, but I couldn't get for any of the other ones that came in its wake. Nah, I didn't even do the but Hunger Games. I think Games. mostly I just had a crush on Jennifer Lawrence at the time. No, once I got out in the Hunger Games, once I got out of the city, I lost interest. And the city is the main interest here, too. And um, I, I think it eventually gets the name the City of the Domes. But in here, they only call it the Dome City, I think. Yeah, I don't think it ever had a name. But, um, well, yeah, you say the city was the main focal point. I, the only part of the film which I felt dragged was everything outside the city. I do, too. Um... I remember there was a point I sort of wiggled my mouse cursor to see, like, how much left of the film. And I was like, we're halfway. <laughs> well, <they laughs> this feels back. like we're into the final act. They make it back into the city. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I guess, I guess in a lot of movies, they get out, they never go back. But here they, they do. Yeah, yeah. But if they're going to go back, I don't know why they had... It just felt like there was a long time of not a lot happening there. <laughs> but... Let, let's start with the city design, though. Um, I, I think... Some of these elements actually did come from what Disney's um, model for Epcot City. Not mm -hmm. Epcot Center, not the theme park we have now, but the city he wanted to build. I remember the, that mad idea, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I also want to say, I want to say you can ride the People Mover in Florida at Disney World and actually see some of these elements. Okay, cool. <laughs> and it, it, that's the Epcot City, by the way. You will see the Epcot City, which is equally as cool as this if it's not the same thing. But I think at least some of it's the same thing. Hmm. But I assumed that you were expecting me to complain about the models or whatever, but I thought they looked dope. Yeah, I mean, they look like models, but... They're... I'm a guy who watches old Doctor Who's and stuff. These are so... awesome models. Yeah, sick. I mean, yeah, they're great as models go. Um, you had a little more issue with the robots. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
got one robot we spend a lot of time with. But yeah, the way I put it to Matt is, we are very lucky that this film came out a year before Star Wars and not a year after, because that robot is shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed that when I was a kid, but he, you know, he's not on screen that long. I mean, I talk about 60 Doctor Who. 60 Doctor Who did robots better than that. <laughs> the Cyberman, Daleks? Daleks are pretty cool, yeah. Okay. Exterminate. Mm, box just sounds... Uh, I was like, did they get a voice actor? Okay, the name is Roscoe Lee Brown. I've, just, I've heard that name around. That's because it's on the thumbnail of the, the archive.org thing you saw, I think. <laughs> maybe, but I feel like... He's yeah, done, maybe he's a voice somewhere. Uh, he might, uh, yeah, he put, I mean, I've watched a lot of cartoons and shit, so I'm sure he did a Transformer or something. <laughs> Um, I guess another element to really look at here is, um, what, what is the acting here? Is it good? Is it bad? I, it's hard to tell. It is of its time. Okay. <laughs> but I, mostly I didn't think it was bad acting. Old man. <laughs> Old man who is supposed to be the, um, yeah, it took me a prestige while to, actor It took here. me a little while to cut on to whether he was playing a role or just a weird guy who had never been in a film before. <laughs> He'd been in lots of films. Yeah. So it was just him very well playing I don't know how to interact with another person. I, yeah. But hmm. I, I initially just took that as him genuinely not knowing how to interact with a person on camera. <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of why I love him, though. I mean, he just seems so out of it in this movie. Yeah, but it's appropriate. He's lived on his own for, like, decades. Oh, it is. And he never becomes lucid. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. Um, well, similarly, like, with Logan... It's a dick. Yeah. But I feel like if it was made today, they'd make more of an effort to show him not being a dick anymore. They, there's actually been a notable effort to make this uh, closer to today. Brian Singer was attached for a while. Hmm. Um, he, he, turned, he ended up leaving the project to do the sequel to Superman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I feel like um, the Michael Bay movie, The Island, sort of derailed efforts to do this one again. Okay, I actually quite like the island. I like the island too, but that one that one does turn pretty much into crap once they leave the city. Yeah, true. Logan's run, like you said, does slow down a little bit, but it you know it's like kind of also the shots of like ruined DC. Oh, that's awesome. I bet they were pretty mind blown at the time, especially. Yeah, those are. But that was not seen that often then. I want to get. I I actually read the book yesterday. I want to get into that a little more, but I think we should just leave that in its own spot and move on for now. Okay. Um, Disco design. I can see why you love it. <laughs> I, I, Star Wars wiped out most of that, although there is a fantastic disco version of the Star Wars theme. You've probably I felt like Of course, okay. I guess it just reminded me how sad I am that no matter how far into the future we get, fashion just doesn't change that much. <laughs> a guy in 2020 will look the same as a guy in 1920. <laughs> Where's my like, big flowing disco space suit? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I did mention the, the roller disco death uh, gowns for the carousel folks. They turn up in the gowns and those weird surgical masks, but then they like ditch them and they're in those spandex like <laughs> roller disco. <laughs> yeah, I guess having not seen the film but being aware of the premise, I did not expect the death to be like that. <laughs> um, some fun facts: just where they filmed this, um, a lot of the scenes were like a, uh, the Dallas Convention Center, I believe, mm. which is pretty obvious when you think about it. It's a modernist. A modern 70s style, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, convention center and hotel, right? Um, some of the scenes, I know Logan's room, the models, carousel, 
the set for Carousel was in California. Um, the Shan noticed that the we know when they go to the water system and get back into the city. That's in San Francisco. She's been there. Okay, I I didn't know how to write that, but I definitely noticed it. I was yeah. like, is this a is this a granite jungle? I I don't quite know what to call this. Yeah, it it just exists, and they spotted it and thought, oh, that's like sci-fi. Let's use that. Yes, <laughs> it does look sci-fi. So they were right. <laughs> um, otherwise, oh, I lost my train of thought there. Carousel, yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I just heard recently that. Um, Someone had taken a tour of MGM Studios right after his film was completed. They were breaking right. down some of the sets. They knew they were going to make a TV show. There's a 14-episode TV show for Logan's Run out there. I did not know that. Now you do. Um, and so they need, they wanted to keep some. Different actors, different actors and stuff. Right. But I think they kept some of the sets. But um, they were tearing down the very large carousel set under the excuse that, well, if we need to show that sort of stuff, we'll, we'll just use the stock footage. Right. And then they ripped down the set. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, was... we were wondering when we were watching it if the second time you see it, it was stock footage from the first time. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I think they at least waited till after the movie to actually tear it down. But hey, mm. why film it again? Because what, what, you have like 40 people on wires. Yeah. Which you can see in a few shots. <laughs> oh, well, what, like... Like with Spider-Man, when you complained about the effects, we were watching this on a probably a lower quality stream than you. So, oh, if you're on a good screen, you, you can see the wires. If you're, if you're watching this in good quality, but that's charming. You in this, you case, could argue that the wires actually exist within the cannon. Maybe they're just being pulled up on strings. Yeah, there's no zero G stuff going on as they lift up into into carousel. Um. <laughs> uh, but going back to Logan, often in this sort of story, the idea would be everyone lives a life of hedonistic pleasure. But we Sandmen deal with the dark stuff that you can't handle so that you can have this life. But in this version, when they go out to kill runners, it's just a lark. They're having fun. <laughs> They're like laughing and toying and then, with them. And, and then they go straight into the hedonism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though their job is to like hunt down and kill people, they're just as much hedonistic living for pleasure as everyone else. They've only got 30 a, years to live. An amusing touch. That's why Brian Singer wanted to get involved. No one could be too old. <laughs> 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 um, a, a little bit for uh, the, the love shop the love shop you know love shop they're escaping oh I, saw, I remember, we remember the love shop we weren't quite sure what was going on but. no that's all slow motion and just weird sounds <laughs> but uh, yeah that was tr I, I, I feel like they didn't cut much out of that on TV in the early 80s and this movie weirdly enough I think has like a G or PG rating. Well, it was. It did a weird thing where most of the film felt like it would not be highly rated. Like it was pretty fun, rompy sci-fi. And then just every now and then, it's like, oh, here's a dude melting. Here's some tits. Yeah, like, I know. I There's a pretty notable side boob, side ass thing going on. Well, she's there. got uh, yeah. Her, her outfit is the entire side is visible. <laughs> <laughs> just has a front and a back and no sides. Hey, get ready to go to Studio Fifty Four, man. So uh, before we, we wrap up in this little bit, let, let's, let's, let's get into that music. Um, we noted that I make music and half of it sounds like Logan's Run. <laughs> I, I do love me some sci-fi synths, so I was very on board. In the dome, uh, something I, maybe you don't notice the first time you watch it, but all the music outside of the dome is orchestral. All the music inside the dome is synthesized. That's a really nice touch. I did, yeah, I definitely did. Yeah. Notice it. Um, we talked about them in Star Trek. I did notice when they step outside and see the sun, it felt like very different music. Yeah, the trombones come in. Yeah, so, so yeah, I guess it makes sense. Right. Uh, again, this is, um, I think, the sci-fi maestro here. He did Planet of the Apes. He did Star Trek, which we talked about. He did the score for this film. Okay. 
But we got the bleepity bloop synths, which... Uh, the, the only issue I have with the synths is sometimes I couldn't tell what was supposed to be music and what was supposed to be a sound effect. I think it's... Because all the sci-fi sound effects are also just... That's a good point. Synthy bleepity I think bloops. it's all supposed to kind of blend together. Yeah, yeah, I know. Wait till we get to Forbidden Planet. <laughs> That's all bloopity bloop. You can't tell anything. Uh, we do get a few themes here. I can't sing chorus, but it's something like that. <laughs> which, was, which theme was that? That's the Outside the Dome theme. Okay. Okay. You can watch the movie and my, my trying to sing Yeah, I watched the movie time, once. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've seen it a lot of times. <laughs> Are you ready to die next year? I mean, we're all gonna. You could renew. <laughs> Try like hell. Renewal carousel. But that is uh, sort of the main, you know, sort of at least thought core here. That's why, as stupid as the movie is, it has a, you know, it's, it's the uh, allegory of Plato's cave in the end, right? Right, yeah. Is it? Does it matter that things are an illusion if the illusion is pretty? Yeah. And outside the illusion is grim. Right. Yeah, really. I mean, inside, everyone... They're, they're set in the way that it's going to be 30. I was thinking um, 30 is not too bad. I'm 40 now, right? 30, okay, you end at 30 intentionally. If you, they and and you have a chance for more hedonism, right? You don't have those part-time jobs and years yeah, of high yeah, school. Yeah. You're just, like, tooling around the whole time. If they made this film now, I feel like they would set it at 20 so they could have teen heartthrobs in all the roles. Did you say that knowing that in the book it is set at 20? I did not know that. No. Now you do. Okay. <laughs> uh, the main reason it was set to, at 30 in the movie is because... They, they don't want, have a bunch of 15-year-olds shagging on screen? And they wanted some people who could act. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Francis looks, what, 35? But uh, again, I, I, I do want to get into the book, but um, Francis in the book is actually 42. <laughs> oh, how? <laughs> His life crystal malfunctioned. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and he's actually like the guy helping people to the real sanctuary in the book, whereas in in this movie, there is no sanctuary. Oh, you I'm sorry, say... I should have done it. There is no sanctuary. There we go. I I, I was trying to set you up for that. Yeah, <laughs> cut it so it looks like I got done. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the book's pretty different. It is. I, I, that's why I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of slipping in, but I actually want to make a little segment well, I was, where we I was talk about segue that. in so that this is the section. Are we there? We're talking about the book now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just read the book. That's I, good radio, man. I was naturally segueing. All right. No, I, I got to ask. I, I got to check for confirmation because that's trying to go philosophy. But okay, book. I just read the book. I, I knew the plot line of the book from quite a while ago. Okay. But I hadn't read it. There are some. This is the least accurate adaptation like ever, more than X Men. Okay. <laughs> so in the book, there is no domed city. It's the entire world. Oh. They all know the history. Uh, in the book, there's like an android replica of Fredericksburg, of Fredericksburg, a battle from the Civil War, <laughs> where they're saying, oh, these people died for their country. Now you're going to die for humanity at 20. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the whole world is like this. So 
on any given day, uh, the first seven years you're in the nursery. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the second seven years, you're not green, you're blue in the book, I believe. And that is childhood. You don't need to pay for anything. You do whatever the hell you want. You don't have parents. Right. Uh, the last seven years, you need to get a job. And Jessica in the book complains. She's like, oh, I hated my job. I had to work uh, three hours a day, three days a week. <laughs> <laughs> because in, in this world, you, like we're here, we can hop into a maze car, which interestingly, they mentioned in the making of documentary of this movie, but didn't say in the movie. But you hop in a maze car, and within minutes, we can go from uh, Japan off to to Africa, um, hunting black panthers. Sorry, that sounded horrible. That's actually what the book said. (laughs) (laughs) They actually said that in this book written in like the 60s or 70s, 63. Okay. Wow, that just sounded horrible coming out. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what it says in the book. That's why I said that. (laughs) To going to Alaska to a burlesque show, (laughs) which doesn't make any sense, also said in the book. Right. Uh, Francis is actually a good guy. He is Logan's partner, but he's 42, and he is the old man uh, who actually leading people to Sanctuary, which is a place which uh, is a formerly abandoned Mars colony. So you're going to live a hard life there, but you're going to live past 20. Right. So, yeah, the book is way different. Uh, Massively different, but there is no all the changes were improvements. There's no uh, carousel. So how do they kill them in the book? When you're... So the last day, you start blinking, right? And in, at the end of that day, you're supposed to arrive at the sleep shop where they pump you full of psychedelics first and then pump you full of whatever is going to kill you. So okay. you trip out and die. But in the book, everyone's much more aware of what's going on. Yeah, that's why these are sandmen. Right. If you don't go to sleep at the sleep shop, the sandmen come after you. Okay, yeah. well, I mean, that makes sense anyway, but... It, it doesn't screw the movie up, but it makes yeah. a lot more sense in the book. Right. Um, just, just though, uh, the book isn't that great. It's, it's pop sci-fi. Right. I've been, re- uh, I've been hardcoring Asimov recently. Uh, you know, in light of that, it's complete crap. Okay. That said, it's a, the fir- there's actually three books that the dude wrote with co-authors. Um, the first one's only like 120 pages, so I just you know, blasted through the thing, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a pauper. You don't need to spend much time on any particular page. So um, if you do become obsessed with this movie as, as, or are obsessed, it's, it's probably worth uh, having a look at the book. But I, I am going to vote movie in the end uh, very easily. Okay. So anyway... Um, Either way, let, but let's let's focus on the movie more than the book, of course. Yeah, well, I've we not yeah, read you the book. Read the book but, uh, it's a sci-fi movie podcast, damn it. So, okay, let's rate it. A 29-year-old man, how horrible is the society? <laughs> the society in the in the movie? Yeah. It's better than our society. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, you know, I'm, I think as we've discussed with Serenity, I'm always Mr. Freedom, fight the power, fight the system. Like in a system which doesn't do anything half as evil as kill you all at thirty. But so. in the movie, you're having you're having all that freedom in a gilded cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, is that so different from how we're living now? I guess that's that is where the book thing comes from. It's the whole world is the gilded cage. But, yeah, uh, I but, don't know. You know. We live in the dome city, which is the West. But we don't. But we don't. Well, <laughs> I guess that's that's where we hope the, this podcast actually brings in a little bit of interest. Is that we are. Japan I mean, Japan is much more like it where is. we come from than any of the countries next to it. It is, but we're still, you know, we're still like now looking more from the outside. We're definitely you know? looking in at the outside. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm an American. Looking at America from the outside for ten years gets pretty weird. Yep. I don't know what's going on there. So. But yeah, there's there's so much. 
you know, grim shit right around the corner, <laughs> which we all know about, and yet choose to ignore and just, yeah, do live a life of hedonistic pleasure. <laughs> um, just on a little tangent there, uh, uh, making another tangent off a tangent, I suppose. Lots of tangents. Tree of life, man. But... Um, in the book, it's actually, it actually makes very clear the historical events that happened to lead to this situation. Right. Um, Which oh, very rarely works in these sort of films. The more, it's always like the less you know, the more it kind of makes sense, right? It kind of works. I think in the book, it's sort of like, um, oh, what is it? Anyway, the youth get so pissed off at government that they actually manage to organize and... Uh, you know, they, they, uh, there's the little war on Washington where they uh, end up firing a dirty nuke okay which is reflected in the movie because in the book they go to washington and it's a tropical jungle yeah the nuke has irradiated the soil which is keeping everything warm mm. and that's kind of reflected in those uh groovy yeah, yeah, yeah. washington dc scenes because it's like why does washington look like that but I've, yeah i've not seen a film like this old which depicts like a apocalyptic city that way overgrown last of us style like it's normally the desert, right? The Planet of the Apes. Right, right. Or that, yeah, they got the underground stuff there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that is a glimmer of the book. Um, a lot of little pieces of dialogue come uh, when yeah. Farrah Fawcett, oh yeah, Farrah Fawcett's in this movie. <laughs> when she is talking to Logan, like, oh, you should get, you should get dark hair. I like guys with dark hair. That's actually, there are like these direct bits of dialogue from the book, but uh, huh. it's just kind of weird how they adapted the thing. Maybe it just went through a lot of rewrites. Yeah, it must have. <laughs> <laughs> One rewrite. <laughs> also, your claps. Yeah, it's better, it's better than the clap. I, I think I listened to a few of the other ones we did, and I, it seems like clap more than I noticed. <laughs> I'm a clapper. Clapper cracker? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, Francis, what do you think of Francis in here? He's actually the good guy in the book. He's, he's definitely the gnarly dude in here. He takes uh, American flag through the chest yeah but he was a pretty good villain i thought yeah like he never felt like he had like a big evil turn he just he was character was true all the way through logan no he's got him. a job to do he does and it. he hunts him down yeah yeah i still think the actor looks like the skinny guy from flight of the concords though i can i can go with that <laughs> it's been a little while since i watched why follow that and he doesn't he looks like he had last day quite a while ago yeah but also he looks like he Maybe that's, again, from originally they went with the book thing where he was older. Oh, I wonder if they cast him, like, before yeah, a few rewrites. They cast him before a rewrite, yeah. Now, now, in the book, he is, he is going to new you and getting yeah. plastic uh, surgery okay. in order to look 20, like, over and over again. That makes sense. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, his, his motivations are stupid, but they've just been, like, completely ingrained in him. Yeah, right. He's grown up in this world where that is the truth. Where um, I guess Logan has too, um, but it, from the start it's shown that Logan is a little more willing to question. Oh, but even so, it takes him a while to start properly doubting. Something also that's only in the film that I want to get into is uh, getting computer screwed that hard. Okay. <laughs> what happens in the book? Uh, in the book, he just goes the last day and is like, "Fuck it, let's run." Oh, okay. <laughs> that's what he had before just... I saw the film. I thought would happen. No, he he had. Um, in the book, he the runner they kill is actually Jessica's twin brother. Huh. So Jessica's also in Last Day in the book. She's a right. red. Um, and he has the Ankh, which it turns out, you find out in the end, Francis has slipped Doyle, the, the runner, the Ankh. But right. Logan gets in and decides to use it. So Francis is sort of, you know, leading him on to okay. where he needs to go uh, in a totally oblique, weird way. Um, 
But yeah, in the movie, I, I, I like the movie version better where Logan is set in his ways and the computer completely screws him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, he's like, do I get those four years back and all of that stuff? <laughs> and, and the book does show signs that the computer's slowly breaking down, like transportation's not as efficient. Mm. Certain cathedral is in Washington, D.C. are areas that have gone dark, which I guess Cathedral has in the movie. Cathedral's pretty much the same in this movie. Okay. Except that in the book... I didn't it, quite, watching the film, understand what the deal was with Cathedral. Cathedral's a broken down part of the city where um, basically the bad kids go to hang out. Right. But I, it wasn't explained why there are bad kids. They just don't want to... They, they're not... They don't want to listen to their teachers. We don't, they don't need no okay. but education. They will eventually <laughs> go green and go upstairs, is what you were saying. No, uh, Logan says when you go red, you what's going to happen to you? You're going to get... Right. You're going to die. Same in the book, but uh, Cathedral is a suburb of Los Angeles in the book. Okay. Or, or a broken down part of the city, but it's still a broken down part of the city. It's pretty much the same in the book um, yeah. as in the movie. But uh, just, yeah, I guess that's a fun fact. <laughs> Today's news segment, probably, probably one time only. Innovations of the future! So, Logan meets Jennifer through Tinder. <laughs> right? Well, it's, a, it's like transportative Tinder, yeah, but sure. Yeah, it's like teleporter Tinder. Okay. He's got a little remote, he strolls through who's going, he's like, yeah, I'll take this one. You know who's old man in this situation? Are you, are you very familiar with Tinder? No, I was married before anyone met online. <laughs> Other in chat rooms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never have much luck on Tinder, but, you know, it's fun to scroll. <laughs> okay, I'm, I know nothing. So basically, it's a phone app. You turn it on, make your profile, blah, blah, blah. What you get, you get a picture of a person. You think, am I attracted to them? If yes, you swipe them to the right. If no, you swipe them to the left. Mm. If they also swiped you to the right, you can chat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is just going through a Rolodex of people and seeing which one you want to bang, like Logan does. <laughs> oh, okay. So maybe in a few years they'll get the, you know, the holograms and we'll, yeah. we'll be good to go. Video game. <laughs> Logan's got a video game in his apartment. Did you check it out? Oh, no, I love seeing shit sci-fi video games. Yeah, it's, 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 it's real quick, but he's basically playing Pong in his apartment. Oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, but he has, like, his little handheld communications device, and it's got a GPS in it and all sorts. He sort of buzzes. Mm. Which is quite late in the film. I kind of thought he'd already turned off, turned away from the Sandman at that point. But he's still uh, well, he kind wasn't of betraying quite, the He was still trying to do his job, wasn't he? Yeah, it's only when Francis won't let him escape that he gives up. Right, right. Or when he gets outside and is like, oh, crap, there's something here. But, like, I guess he also then did the dumb movie thing of, a two-minute conversation with Francis would have solved all of their dis disagreements. I don't know. Francis was pretty... Maybe he wouldn't have believed I don't him think, I don't think they would have actually worked that out with a conversation. He just said, like, oh, you don't understand, I'm on a secret mission. Wink, wink. <laughs> but the computer was very clear that he could not reveal it. I mean, maybe he'd just be like, screw that, but, yeah. you know. He was explicitly told by the insane AI to, uh, you know, take it out. Yeah, but but Logan, Logan does a fine Kirk style taking out of the AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just does not compute and explodes. The entire city. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I couldn't work out if that was what exploded the city or when he starts shooting those things. 
I had the impression that their entire city was going down. And, and because I, the computer was freaking out. And I made a note, like, if you notice at the end, they're playing with old man beard yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then it goes to the end. And then everything starts exploding again. Yes. <laughs> well, it freeze frames on Logan and then superimposes some explosions. Right. Um, I'm just going to real quick reference another film that um, we probably won't end up talking about here, but it's The Trip, Roger Corman, written by Jack Nicholson, but not he doesn't appear in the film. Okay. It stars uh, Peter Fonda, Bruce Dern, Dennis Hopper. Um, it's not sci-fi. You should check it out. The point is um, it's about Peter Fonda's a commercial, commercial director who trips LSD in order to find himself in the 60s, right? Right. And the film company was like, well, he seems okay in the end, so you can't do that. So at the end, they freeze frame him and then have a cracked mirror. And I kind of feel like they, so he went nuts. So I kind of feel like they did that here too accidentally. <laughs> we were on the AI. Oh, you want to get into no, that? It was. I was going to mention just. Uh, it's really well delivered. Just the every time someone meets old man, they've never seen an old person, <laughs> and even before that, they see Abraham Lincoln's face. Like, oh, is that what old looks like? <laughs> I just thought it was a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> I want to head a little more into the book because there is a... They dropped the ball a little bit. Uh, the blaster, what did you think? It would have been fine if there'd been just some sort of beam shot, something. And just, it lights up, the thing explodes. That's pretty Han Solo from first Star Wars. But I feel like you at least, you normally see a bolt. Apart from when he shoots the guy under the table. Right. When there's a bit more distance, you see something. Okay, so um, most parts, I think they improved on the book. Um, they really dropped the ball on, the, on his gun. Why? What does his gun do in the book? In, his, in the book, the gun is only the Sandman can use the gun. If you try and use the gun and oh, you're like not... Oh, like Judge Dredd shit, yeah. Yeah, if you're not keyed to it, it's, gonna, it's Judge Dredd shit, exactly. The gun is a revolver. Nice. It has six um, chambers, each with a different function. Okay. Like, one is, a, like, a tangler, where it'll wrap the person in, you know, something to, to keep them tight. Um, the one that they talk about most is the homer. Ah. <laughs> and the homer, um, you have to be careful, because the homer can home on somebody close by, so you got to get the runner when they're alone. Right. Which they do in the lobby in the beginning of the movie. They yeah. are shooting a homer, they just don't talk about it. Okay. Uh, what the homer does is it finds a 98.6 Fahrenheit, if, or is it 96 point? I don't remember, I live in Japan, we have to talk about the, Jap uh, the, the Celsius now. You want to help me on that? What? Body temperature, supposed oh, to be. Oh, no. Okay, we're, we're lost here. Whatever regular body temperature is, it homes into that. Right. And um, incinerates every cell of that being. Okay. Painfully. <laughs> so basically it disintegrates you painfully which is I guess what, well no the runner just gets blown shot doesn't he yeah yeah it's just like yeah. like one thing I noticed watching it people don't scream when they get shot in films anymore Wilhelm scream do you know Wilhelm scream of course Matt is this a Wilhelm scream Matt Wilhelm scream here Matt yeah it's not everybody knows fucking dude on a movie podcast doesn't know the Wilhelm scream okay just checking out you know so, no, 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 so there's this it. movie have you heard of it it's called Citizen Kane <laughs> what's he a citizen of man <laughs> the earth I've never seen it and I don't plan to but <laughs> I like it <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah yeah we are getting those in this movie aren't we I, well because I feel like it was after Star Wars when this Wilhelm scream got popular yeah, that that so, would have yeah, been a big yeah, yeah, but, like but it comes before. from a much oh man it comes okay. from like a cowboy film and then it actually comes from a film before that 
Yeah. But it had only been used in like two or three before Star Wars. Okay. And then it became the joke right. and everything. They got good screaming here, and if it's not that yeah. one. But yeah, um, I just mean in films these days, you never get that. The... <laughs> <laughs> we need that again. Huh? It's also, the other thing you don't hear anymore is the old James Bond. When they miss someone, you hear the... As it bounces off metal. Oh, yeah. I miss that from gunfights. We alluded to it a little bit before, and I guess we kind of... I, we talked about how the film holds up today, but does it actually hold up today? Who does it hold up for? If I show it to a 13-year-old who just went to see Far From Home, they're probably not going to dig it. Or will they? I don't think it would take much. Like, if it was a bit too long, but I also feel like just a modern edit job. Mm. Like, Because I've mentioned a few times, oh, they could remake this for the Hunger Games crowd. They almost don't need to. I'd only edit the segment. I'd probably just edit a bit of them, you know, traipsing through the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, there's DC. a lot of just long shots of nothing and stuff, yeah. which could easily be. They had the skinny dipping, that's fun. I enjoyed that. <laughs> but yeah, they could have they trimmed that a little bit. They could have made a montage. It was also very... Have a montage. The, if you want to call it, love story was very sudden. She, like, hates him, and then it's like, suddenly, oh, she wants to spend her life with him. Yeah, but think about how people in this world are just throwing themselves in any direction anyway. Yeah, yeah, but they set her up as she doesn't like him, she's not interested in this. Did they she's get married? deep. And then just next, next, like, two scenes later after no development, I want to go with you, Logan. I want to spend my life with you, Logan. So after old man told them when a husband and a wife were, does that mean they were married? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, the disco. I love the disco. Does it hold up? The production here? I, I just love it. I can't, I can't, I, I can't hate it. I, apart from the robot, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have major issues with any of the effects and stuff. And yeah, the costumes are cheesy, but it's a look. I like it. <laughs> They're fantastic cheesy. Oh no, Logan Sandman suit's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could roll today. Oh, that's what I wanted to bring up. Logan's hair. <laughs> no matter what happens to him, is his hair is always on point. Is that the sequel, Logan's hair? <laughs> Should be. <laughs> it's like, he's been exploded, but his hair is perfect. He's just come up from being underwater, but his hair is perfect. He's just been buried in ice, but his hair is perfect. So re re He's gone insane. Everything is dirty and ripped, but his hair is perfect. <laughs> Get, getting back to the... Uh, I, I keep mentioning the book. Sorry, I just read it. Um, so, of course, I'm... I guess Logan, well, he's 20 in the book, right? Yeah. And he's definitely not Michael York, but obviously that's still the picture in my head. Right. And his hair was perfect. And the things they go through in the book are, like, real hardcore, like, way more than the movie. Oh, okay. Like, they get fucked up and then fixed and screwed up again, then fixed. And, yeah, even in my mind movie, he still had perfect per hair. Yeah. You can't imagine him without that Perfect hair, hair forever. <laughs> I, could, I could imagine if they'd had, like, an underwater camera. You'd see him dive underwater, and his hair is just still in its perfect position <laughs> as he's underwater. So, in but like Francis's hair goes wrong, mm. Jessica's hair goes wrong, mm. but Logan's hair is always perfect. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's look at aging. I, I, you know, if you're if if you're over thirty, maybe this movie still works. If you're under thirty, I like that. I think it works, but 
as I talked about in the Star Trek episode, I'm getting old and boring, and I like old, boring films. <laughs> so I like this when I was four years old, though. <laughs> <laughs> I like Star Trek: The Motion Picture when I was four years old. So yeah, and, and before before we drop this off, um, there is just one thing I wanted to get into. Um, I like Michael York in this movie. I think he mostly does a pretty good acting job. But holy shit, when he makes an announcement on the uh, balcony... At the end of the film? <laughs> what? You can leave! <laughs> <laughs> and then Jessica comes and does, like, slightly better. It's like he sounds nuts as hell. Like, no wonder no one's listening to him. <laughs> of course people all the same are going to tackle him. <laughs> yeah. He's causing a public disturbance. Yeah, we, me and Shen both just laughed at that scene, but it's great. I, I mean, yeah. It's he, a lie! You don't have to die! He sounds kind of feminine when he does, you don't have to die! <laughs> and and uh, we, we mentioned that he, he shows up in Austin as Austin Powers' boss, but um, just getting back to his apartment real quick, he, he does live with the perfect hair. He, he is Austin Powers for at least two minutes of this movie. I'm talking about playing his, Tinder. his apartment life. <laughs> um, like, you kind of understand why Francis wanted to kill him later on. Because he turns up with, like, these girls, and then clearly much more handsome Logan just takes them. <laughs> Francis lives in a shithole. He sleeps on cardboard mattress. <laughs> like the, the Simpsons gag with Lenny. Oh, don't tell people how I live. <laughs> That's why Francis bring the girls' Logan's yep. pad. He's going to take them back to his pad, where he's got a fucking anime body pillow. Yeah. Anyway, I love the film. Luke, Luke at least seemed to like it okay. Yeah, I, I like this film. It's that's a good Ma- film. That's Matt here loving the film. That's Luke here loving the film. Uh, where, where do they find us if they want to find us? We're on Twitter at MLSFSpod. Get on there, complain about my Brian Singer joke. Complain You'll hear from Luke there. Tell me whether the moon landing happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, also remember to like and... No, not like and subscribe. That's YouTube. And like and... Rate and review mm. on iTunes. Do that. And just... Everyone is listening at midnight tonight, the night you listen. Just sit down, close your eyes, and just mentally, to me and Matt, beam thoughts of appreciation, and we'll see if we get them. Or give us your suggestions by, like, mind thought. That would be cool. Yes. If there's a film you want us to cover, just sit, meditate, calm your breath, think about our gorgeous, sexy faces, and then think about that film. I just intensely send us those mind beams. And then if we do it like a month later, that means telepathy works. It's proven. Yeah, boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, it'll be like two months later because we record these well in advance. <laughs> oh, uh, hit, hit us up with Facebook too because if I respond, it's probably going to be there. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you're on the Twitter, you ain't talking to Matt. If you're on the Facebook, you're probably not talking to me. And never the twain shall meet. <laughs> never the taint shall meet. So the Facebook is... <laughs> the, but the taint... Categorically is the bit where they meet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what is our Facebook? <laughs> I guess I it's don't know. Tatepod at Facebook.com. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um just search for Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. I think I accidentally made it the wrong kind of thing, so it doesn't have a URL. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I made it a group instead of Do a page. search, you'll find it. Okay, um as for me Just close your eyes and type into the keyboard and you'll find it. I'm just gonna do credits now so I don't have a corner later. This thing's produced by Luke Summerhays and Matt Commages. It is edited by Matt Commages. Luke you Luke pushes that each it time. out. Yeah, I did. I just used the clip. I don't know. Luke pushes that out into the world like a midwife. Push, push. Urgh. And the music I do. 
Um, I do it. I do. And my buddy from Tokyo, we work on it. That's um, rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com. And today, I'm going to end this with a track. I'm ending with a song. Okay. It's- I don't know. I feel like you can either take the piss with your recap of the film or with a song. You can't do both. It's Sanctuary. Okay, fine. Off we go. Peace! Chakra turns to silicone, here trapped within the utopia. Calling countdown for your day's finale, hedonistic cornucopia. It's okay getting a bit crazy.